attention, please. This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive 3 until 6 p.m. weekdays on the Sports Hub. I love it. It's brilliant. Don't look now, but we're three weeks away from Wyndham Championship Week around here. Today was media day for the tournament, so I went to Sedgefield Country Club to attend. Last year's champ, France Snedeker, will be with us on the show at some point. And yes, if you're wondering, my hair is still purple after the U.S. World Cup win on Sunday. However, I think I need a ruling here. Is it cheating that I put on a cap? When I was at Sedgefield, because I felt like that wasn't the best setting to have light purple hair, especially while interacting with strangers. Is that cheating or am I still following the rules by having to wear a cap to shield the purple hair in Sedgefield? Technically, you didn't really specify that you had to be out in public with hair that's purple. You just said you would dye your hair purple. So I said my hair would be purple for a week. Yeah. You didn't say you couldn't so, wear hats or a toboggan or a... It know. meant... That's that's true. So I guess I did follow the regulations. Yeah. If you feel like I didn't, I'm going to be at the Winston-Salem Dash baseball game later tonight. I don't plan to be wearing a cap. So feel free to drop by and say hello. Radio's a funny thing. We once did the show where people called in, had no idea what I looked like, and just guessed what I looked like based on how my voice sounded. You won't have to do much guessing... I'll be the guy, probably behind home plate, with purple hair. I, I'm pretty sure they'll be able to spot you. Any place in the park, they can look out and just kind of see that flash of purple. Yes. <laughs> with the Wyndham on the horizon, though, I started examining our local sports calendar. And the way things lie this year, the next eight months that we're about to approach might be as good as sports has ever been in the triad. Think about it. The Wyndham Championship has been revamped. This year's the introduction of the Wyndham, Rebor- uh, Wyndham Rewards Top 10, which is why the tournament's getting bumped up four week- uh, by two weeks than where it usually is in August. And when this was announced, it was massive news. The tournament director, Mark Brazel, who was a guest on this show, said, Phil Mickelson shot him a text. Everybody's going to come to this tournament now. If you don't know what the Wyndham Rewards Top 10 is, It's now, they now do a ranking in the regular season and the top 10 get a cut of a $10 million pot. So millions of dollars will be hanging in the balance, which is pretty good incentive to play at a golf course that already has rich history and tradition dating back to Sam Snead in the 30s. Legendary golfers who have played there. So... I feel like the tournament is only going to get better, and that starts in three weeks. This has become the crown jewel of the triad. It used to be the ACC basketball tournament, but when the ACC started leaving to go to Brooklyn and Washington, D.C., having them be regular stops for the tournament and the ACC tournament only coming here once every four years, that changed things. The ACC tournament, it doesn't really feel like ours anymore. We don't really feel like tournament town anymore. Since it's once every four years we get the ACC basketball tournament. Another thing that's big on the sports calendar. 
Wake Forest has a once-in-a-generation-like schedule this year. Specifically, the home schedule. Wake Forest is the ACC's triad school, or the triad's ACC school, however you want to put it. For the first time since 1921, Wake Forest is going to be hosting Duke, North Carolina, and NC State. All three of them will be coming to BB&T Field. So, in addition to the Wyndham being revamped, Wake Forest will be hosting all three of the ACC teams right here in the triad. And Wake's good. Three straight bowl wins for Dave Clawson, something that's never happened for the Deeks before. You got Jamie Newman and Sam Hartman coming back. An all-ACC left tackle who was injured in the opener last year in Justin Haran. Kobe Davis in the secondary. Justin Sternad. Wake Forest, this is a bowl team. And you got UNC and NC State and Duke coming into BB&T Field. Lastly, speaking of that ACC tournament, the ACC tournament is going to be returning to Greensboro next March. And not just the ACC tournament, the NCAA tournament. First and second round games will be played in Greensboro too. So when you roll all of that together, these three elements, a revamped Wyndham Championship, which is our new crown jewel as a sports market, the Greensboro-Winston-Salem High Points-Piedmont Triad, that's our new sports crown jewel. Wake Forest hosting NC State, Duke, and North Carolina, plus the ACC tournament coming back, tournament town coming back at least for a month, followed by the NCAA tournament too. I can't think of a better eight-month stretch you can have as a sports fan around here than what I just brought to you is coming ahead, and it's coming quickly with ACC football kickoff next week in Charlotte, two weeks after that, the Wyndham Championship in Greensboro, and once football season ends, we'll be in the heart of basketball season and certainly looking forward to Greensboro hosting the ACC tournament again and us watching NCAA tournament basketball as well. Your thoughts are welcome on the subject on Twitter at Sports Hub Triad. You can uh, call in at 336-777-1600. That's our phone number. John Fokey, the play-by-play voice of the Charlotte Hornets, will be with us. There's been a lot of emotion today in the law offices of Timothy D. Wellborn Studios. The Panthers, the last four or five weeks, have been dropping videos highlighting and profiling their new Hall of Honor inductees. They're expanding it from Sam Mills to Jake DeLome, Wesley Walls, Jordan Gross, and the player they profiled earlier today that has us feeling pretty emotional right now, making things pretty dusty around here, Steve Smith. However, I'd argue, just give me the first bit of this Hall of Honor video. We'll just play the sound for you. It's emotional, the exchange you're about to hear between Panthers owner David Tepper and Steve Smith. Tepper telling Smitty that he's been inducted into the Hall of Honor. His response to that is emotional in its own right, but I'd argue the music that's playing in the background here would make anything sound nostalgic and emotional. So, listen, you probably are the best 
player that the Panthers ever had. Second best player. Sam Mills is the first. So just like Sam Mills, though, we're going to expand the Hall of Honor. And you're going to be there, baby. Who, me? That would be you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you will be enshrined forever. When your grandkids come here, they'll be seeing you here. There's very few things in life that really make me emotional to where I want to tear up. And when you say the opportunity for my grandkids to come in that stadium, that penetrates a place that I generally don't go. I'm not going to... It's good to be back. I'm not going to lie to you. Started getting goosebumps. A few goosebumps because Steve Smith and Rod Brindamore, they were probably my two favorite athletes. Maybe ever. Rod Brindamore bringing North Carolina their first and only Stanley Cup. Now he's the head coach of the Hurricanes. And and Smitty, just everything about him, his personality, how exciting he was. Man, the first time he touched a football in the NFL, he took it to the house against Minnesota on a punt return. Kick or punt return? One of the two. It was amazing. He was amazing. He authored some of the most important plays ever. So to hear Steve Smith talking about getting emotional, a guy that very rarely does so, in addition to the soft piano that you expect on an ESPN college game day feature that Tom Rinaldi's making you cry over, it got me. And I got goosebumps right now. Yes, Dad. I'm so happy that it feels like one of the first things on the list of things to do for uh, David Tepper when he took over the franchise was to make amends with potentially one of the best Panthers of all time and Steve the best. Smith. He is the best. I agree with Steve. Sam Mills is still number one to me. Steve Smith's number two. No, it's, I, think, I think it's Steve Smith. I get the emotional tie to Sam Mills and all that, but he had many of his best years with the Saints. Let's just call it what it is. Stat-wise, yes, but... To, in terms of what he meant to the franchise, Sam Mills meant more than Steve Smith did. I'm sorry, eh, and that's I, what I don't, Steve Smith. I, I don't think I don't. I, I, mean, I get I get it. I, I just disagree with it. I but, think Steve Smith is the quintessential Carolina Panther. Yeah, I fine. think it's him. Yeah, that's fine. I put Steve Smith over Julius Peppers, and I put Sam Mills over Julius Peppers too. So we can parse the differences here, but Steve Smith belongs in this Hall of Honor. I'm glad it happened so quickly. Where David Tepper. A men sings in such a way that before even last season ended, Steve Smith is at the 50-yard line Monday night football game against the Saints as the honorary captain for Carolina. That's something that nobody would have foreseen happening, say, even two years ago when Jerry Richardson and Dave Gettleman were still in control. That That's where I was going in terms of... Uh... Steve Smith still lives in Charlotte. He never moved away. Like, his family's still here. His kids are here. His wife is here. He's still ingrained in the fabric of Charlotte. And to have had that rift still there, for David Tepper to recognize that and to patch that up almost immediately from him walking through the door, along with the other things he's done in the first year of being the owner, there's nothing I could sit here and say about David Tepper so far that's negative that I could think of in terms of his relationship with uh, the Charlotte community and the Panther fan base as a whole. It is interesting. You have... Two new owners taking control here in the state of North Carolina. Tom Dundon with the Hurricanes and Dave Tepper with the Panthers. And Tom Dundon is the owner that has created the most maybe distrust among some Hurricanes fans or at least has ruffled the most feathers. That's probably the best way to put it. But his team went to the Eastern Conference Finals in the Stanley Cup in his first year while David Tepper 
in, in, in terms of PR, has been doing everything the right way. Nothing to criticize him about, yet his team didn't make the postseason. It's, it's just interesting how these two are perceived, but winning will cure all, and David Tepper is certainly uh, going to be judged by that eventually, if not this fall. We'll see how that uh, transpires. The Drive is brought to you in part by our friends at Pie Guys Pizza and more. If you haven't already, tried our, try our new secret menu item. It is the Philly Cheese Steak Pizza. It's not on the menu. You have to go up and tell them, hey, I listen to the sports hub, and uh, I hear this Philly Cheese Steak Pizza is pretty good. And you can try it that way, or you can have the Graham Slam Pizza with the buffalo chicken base or buffalo sauce base with chicken and bacon on top. We have our own pizza. We have a secret menu item, too. It's only at Pie Guys Pizza and more. Find them off of Louisville, Clemens Road in Clemens, and uh, pay them a visit, a visit in the Kinnaman Village Commons. Up next, the Home Run Derby or Dunk Contest? This is The Drive. Listen up, everybody. There has been a lot of talk. talk. This is The Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. While the Major League Baseball Home Run Derby is exciting, we started thinking of more all-star things they could do and came across maybe having a race of sorts, the fastest players in Major League Baseball running the baseball, uh, running the bases, maybe even doing so simultaneously in a bracket format. So we started thinking about the fastest players in the sport, and we defaulted on D. Gordon, which probably is an outdated answer from about five years ago. But... Ryan tweets in, Billy Hamilton from the Royals is the fastest player in the league. That's a very good answer. Intern Nick, who else would you nominate? Um, I also nominate Byron Buxton, uh, Mike Trout, Ronald Acuna Jr. Trout's that fast. Yeah, Trout is like a the linebacker of baseball. He is very, very good. Maybe, maybe Mookie Betts. Yeah, Mookie Betts. Right. Uh, they so- did a thing on MLB feet per second, and those guys are either 29 or 30 feet. Ah. So we'll continue to take nominees on this on Twitter at Sports Hub Triad. We're now being joined in Las Vegas by the voice of the Charlotte Hornets, John Fokey, who's kind enough to spend some time here. John, I mean, every time I talk to you, I ask if you're settled in, but now you're in Las Vegas. Have you even found a home yet? Have you lived in this home yet in Charlotte? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I, I was there uh, in our apartment for about a month, but Basically, I was sleeping on an air mattress, and the only piece of furniture I had was a folding camping chair. And then we packed up everything in Minneapolis uh, about a week ago, got it all to the movers. My wife and I drove back down. She was there. We were there together for just a couple of days. And then I took off for Vegas, and finally, uh, all our stuff arrived sometime over the weekend. And so uh, my wife's been digging it out, and by the time... I get home, I feel like we are finally going to be settled and uh, everybody's going to be there. We're going to have some furniture and, you know, I think we're both looking forward to being able to sit on a couch and uh, drink out of real coffee mugs and everything. So we're getting there. It's been a process, but by the time I get back from Vegas, we'll be good. Follow the new radio voice of the Charlotte Hornets, John Fokey, on Twitter at JWFokey, F-O-C-K-E on Twitter. Walk me through what last 
Friday night was like as the Hornets were playing right around the time an earthquake hit, then the Kawhi Leonard news drops at your time about 1130 locally. Uh, it was really funny because the, the Hornets-Golden State game wrapped up and we went out in front of Cox Pavilion to do uh, some stuff for Hornets.com. And as we wrapped that up, uh, the rest of the guys from the digital team were going to be working or heading back to the hotel. There was still maybe a quarter left or about half a quarter left of uh, the Knicks-Pelicans game. And so I headed back in and walked across the hallway to Thomas and Mac to try and catch some of that game. And when I was walking into the arena, everybody was streaming out. And I thought, well, that's weird. Like, I thought there was still plenty of time left. So I walk into the, you know, into the arena bowl, and I'm like, well, this works out. Like, there's plenty of seats, so I can sit wherever I want. And as I sat down, I, I looked out on the floor, and I thought it must be a timeout. And then I looked up at the scoreboard to see how much time was left. And I thought to myself, well, that's odd that the scoreboard and the speakers are swinging. And so I texted somebody, and they were like, earthquake. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So to be honest, Josh, I didn't feel the earthquake at all. It wasn't that uh, obvious? Was you needed it. to text somebody to figure that out? Well, to be honest, yeah. I've, I've never <laughs> experienced an earthquake. And, uh, you know, you walk in, and I just thought it was a regular old TV timeout or something like that. And Still, obviously, you jump on social media, and I texted our PR guy, and he's like, yeah, man, there was an earthquake. Um, so it was it was really interesting. I mean, we were in the back hallway. Uh, the teams were waiting to figure out whether they would uh, continue playing the game. You know, Phoenix was there. I don't remember. It may have been Phoenix-Denver uh, that was supposed to play after that. And so I just remember there were a lot of members of the Phoenix Suns in the back hallway waiting to figure out whether they were going to play at all. Um, so it was it was a wild scene, and then, you know, to be honest, I, I didn't feel the initial earthquake, but when we got back to the hotel, I was sitting in my room uh, just, you know, wrapping up some stuff on the computer, and all of a sudden, like, the chair I was sitting in started shaking side by side, so maybe there was an aftershock or something like that, but uh, the initial big burst I did not uh, notice, but I talked to a lot of people that were down on the floor or in the stands as that hit Thomas Mack, and uh, they said it was one of the craziest and, and longest experiences they've had. How would you describe the next day when people are meeting, having breakfast, having lunch, over the news that Kawhi Leonard is a clipper? Yeah, it was wild. Um, and I think, you know, the reaction here was probably the reaction that a lot of people had, um, you know, hanging out in the coffee shop no matter where they were. And Everybody was uh, surprised at how it happened. And I think the Paul George thing really took a lot of people by surprise because that was never really reported. It was never really discussed. And obviously PG has, you know, a couple of years left on his contract and then any rumors about it. So I think everybody was pretty shocked about uh, how that transpired, how quickly it transpired. And, you know, immediately began, started to break down kind of what, uh, the Western Conference landscape is going to look like and who's going to be the top teams and, and what the rivalry at Staples Center is going to be like. So uh, there's a lot of conversation surrounding that. John Fokey, new radio voice of the Hornets with us here on The Drive. Mitch Kupchak, he was uh, talking to reporters in Vegas, and he's, he's not using the R word, rebuilding. But he also said at the same time that 
high-priced veterans aren't guaranteed playing time. Don't those two ideas conflict each other at all or contradict itself? Well, I think you're going to go into the season, um, obviously, you know, looking at the, the focus on player development, which we saw over the final two weeks of last season. And uh, you're going to roll the ball out there and, and give everybody an opportunity to earn their time. And I think, you know, that's how you have to look at it right now as um, who's going to step up, who's going to help this team um, heading into next season. And, you know, looking at the future of the franchise, you've got to develop some of these guys and, you know, see what you have in them. And so I think uh, all of that will be determined as you get closer to training camp and as you get into the season and just kind of see how everything everything shakes out. And so, you know, I think we've been encouraged by some of the things we've seen here at uh, Summer League out of Miles Bridges. I thought he had a great game on Sunday against San Antonio. Uh, Devontae Graham and Dwayne Bacon were really good in that opening game against Golden State, 25 for Bacon. And 21 for Devontae Graham, and all three of those guys have been uh, given some things to work on by the coaching staff. And, you know, for Miles, it's playing more of that power forward spot. For Dwayne, it was shooting the three, getting to the basket, playmaking for others. And for Devontae, they want to see how he can play off the ball a little bit. So uh, it's been fun to watch those guys take those challenges on and, uh, you know, implement them in live game action, not just in. Uh, you know, the, in the practice court like they were doing in the little training camp leading up to heading out here to Vegas. Slam Magazine put out a tweet on, over the weekend saying, fun fact about Miles Bridges, he's going to dunk on your favorite player this season. And LeBron James quote tweeted that and said, yes, little bro, Will, I just hope your favorite player ain't me. And Miles Bridges responded with, we going to test that this year, brother. What, when you... uh it, uh, based on who you talk to in the league, has Miles Bridges already earned respect among the league's elite? Well, I think, you know, he's, he's only been in the league one year, and I think a lot of uh, coaches, and I'm sorry if it's super loud out here, Josh, I was uh, attempting to do the interview for my hotel room. Uh, you sound just fine, John. But I have absolutely zero service inside, so I had to come out to the side of the hotel, and I've been trying to find a quiet spot. But uh, you sound every just time fine. I hear a motorcycle or a bus or a van or something roars by, so I apologize for that. But I don't know if it's the casino or what, but I just get zero <laughs> service inside my uh, my hotel room and really inside the lobby of the hotel as well. Um, but yeah, I think that I think a lot of guys respect Miles. You know, they they understand the work ethic. They saw what he did at Michigan State and. I think the uh, the future is bright for Miles. I really love his mindset. You know, he didn't end up making one of the all-rookie teams, and he took responsibility for that. Said, you know, he didn't uh, he didn't play to a level that he felt would would earn him one of those. And since the end of the season, he and a lot of the guys have spent time spent most of the time in Charlotte, uh, working out in the weight room, holding each other accountable, working on their game, uh, skill development with the coaching staff, and so. I think uh, players around the league, coaches around the league, they, they see that mindset, they see that work ethic, and uh, I, I think they see a bright future out of Miles. What has this offseason, John, taught us about what star free agents value and how teams should be building moving forward, considering who has landed the free agents this summer, namely the Clippers and the Nets? Uh <laughs> I think it's funny because I, I think some teams felt like 
they were building the right things, but you know, then the players uh, decided that they wanted other things. And so I, I almost feel like teams right now don't really know exactly what players want. And, and it's, you know, the players are sort of dictating where they want to go and, and who they want to play with. And I think it's been fascinating to watch, um, you know, and so certainly in, in the case of the, the Nets and the Clippers, like they were able to open up spots so that they could bring in some of these, uh, you know, multiple free agents and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving there in Brooklyn. And then, of course, uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard with the L.A. Clippers. And so, you know, obviously financial flexibility plays a big role in it so that uh, you've got the ability to bring in one to two to, to three of these big-name free agents. And so I think, you know, that, that's played a, a big role in, in where some of these guys are ending up landing. But I just think it's fascinating to see, you know, you go back to uh, that Olympic team a couple of years ago where a lot of these guys played together for the first time and formed bonds and friendships and, uh, you're starting to see some of those guys reconnect in different spots uh, throughout the NBA. And so it's it's really been interesting to watch how things have evolved over the last couple of years and how you're seeing these teams, uh, these players, end up together um, in, in situations and try to take advantage of uh, playing together and, and trying to compete for a championship together. John, enjoy the rest of Summer League. Thanks for working us in, man. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I apologize for the uh, the noise here. Hey, man. Hey, man. You don't have to. T- you don't have to tell us that you're racing motorcycles while doing interviews. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, I'm impressed by it, John. Personally, I, I think uh, I'm more impressed than I am upset. That's definitely what it sounds like. And now we got a helicopter landing. So. <laughs> oh no! Catch your helicopter, John. Please do that. Don't don't miss Michael Jordan's helicopter. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon, Josh. Right, yeah, that's John Bokey. <laughs> the radio voice of the Charlotte Hornets. Try, trying to get on a motorcycle to catch a helicopter that's being flown by Michael Jordan so that he can get to the next game. I mean, that's big time right there. On Twitter, at JW Fokey, F-O-C-K-E. You can find him on Twitter. The drive is brought to you in part by our friends at Twin Peaks Restaurant, your ultimate sports lodge with a menu to match. Pair any of their made-for-scratch menu items with a frosty 29-degree draft beer, served as always by a beautiful Twin Peaks girl. That way. You're in for a legendary sports-watching experience. Twin Peaks eats, drinks, scenic views. Up next, why Major League Baseball should be in a much better place than where it currently resides. Keep it here on The Drive. I love talking and conversing with you. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham, the The Sports Sports Hub, at AM 600, AM 920. We're on Twitter at Sports Hub Triad in a segment where we talked about the Beatles and our intern could only come up with Twist and Shout, Strawberry Fields Forever, and Come On Eileen being Beatles hits. This is the biggest criticism we got on social media and it comes via Lloyd on Twitter. Did Josh just say BTS was a Japanese boy band? They're South Korean! Boom. Roasted. My apologies. I swear this is going to nuke my career one day. Not being able to differentiate or being, at worst, just flippant or irresponsible 
and guessing at some point. Somebody tells you something in passing and you just assume it's true, it's not responsible, and I apologize for that. I have purple hair today because I lost a bet. Really, it was just a declaration that the U.S. national team, if they win another World Cup, I'd have my hair purple like Megan Rapino for a week, and we're in the second day of that. I kind of look like a South Korean boy band member. Purple hair. Like, if you just give me a leather jacket, I'm set, if we're being honest. A leather jacket with tassels. Mm. A, a pocket of glitter. That That's you right. Just throw out wherever you are, no matter what. Tight pants. Glittery shoes. What are those called? Tight jeans. Skinny jeans. Skinny jeans. That's right. With a rocket, bit of rocket a, the skinny jeans. A little bit of a sag there, which I never understood. <laughs> the Panthers had us feeling all nostalgic today. They had another video series edition, The Hall, profiling their Hall of Honor inductees for this year. They were expanding it from just Sam Mills to Wesley Walls, Jake DeLome, Jordan Gross, and now Steve Smith. Steve Smith, in his video, got us all feeling emotional with the help of some very light piano playing in the background. This is from that video the Panthers put out earlier today. So, listen, you probably are the best player that the Panthers ever had. Second best player. Sam Mills is the first. So, just like Sam Mills, though, we're going to expand the Hall of Honor. And you're going to beat her, baby. Who, me? That would be you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you will be enshrined forever. When your grandkids come here, they'll be seeing you here. There's very few things in life that really make me emotional to where I want to tear up. And when you say the opportunity for my grandkids to come in that stadium, that penetrates a place that I generally don't go. And so uh, it's good to be back. That was the voice of David Tepper telling Steve Smith he'd be in the Hall of Honor. Speaking of David Tepper, a headline that just came down from Steve Reed of the AP, David Tepper and team president Tom Glick will travel to New York next week and meet with Major League Soccer officials in an effort to convince them to bring an expansion team to Charlotte right around the same time uh, Raleigh is completing a project to get a massive stadium, uh, a multi-billion dollar project, and they are trying to lobby for Major League Soccer to come to Raleigh. But keeping it with Steve Smith, what is your favorite Steve Smith memory? You could tweet the show at Sports Up Triad 336-777-1600. Personally, the first game I ever went to was also the first game that the voice of the Panthers, now Mick Mixon, was calling in that position. It was against the New Orleans Saints. It was in September. It was the home opener in 2005. And Steve Smith was coming off an ACL injury. He missed the entire year following the Super Bowl appearance. And he caught a button hook, broke a tackle, and then took it to the house. And that was the first NFL game I ever went to. So that sticks out to me. He's one of my favorite athletes of all time. Even as I watch, emotionally detached now. Not really much of a Panthers fan anymore. I find it's much easier to do a job covering the team, being emotionally detached from it. But back then, I was all in. Here's how I'd probably rank them. Most memorable Steve Smith moments. Number three, I'd probably say it is 
the Fred Smoot touchdown. Remember the Fred Smoot game? See if you can find the details on this, Des. He scored a touchdown against Minnesota on Fred Smoot the week that he got busted on a party boat, and he gets down on his rump and starts rowing the boat as a touchdown celebration. But I want the specific details because so much time has passed. This was circa 2006 or 2000. What? So that's number three. No. The 2003 playoffs. Steve Smith, what is called crazy clown to play. Runs down the middle of the field, catches a post pattern the first play, a double overtime, and the Panthers win to go to the NFC Championship game where they beat the Philadelphia Eagles to play the Patriots. And number one, it's hard to pick just one play, but the 2005 NFC Divisional Playoff game against the Bears, it is single-handedly the most dominant a wide receiver's been in a playoff game I've ever seen. Like, a lot, of, a lot of times I talk about how wide receivers aren't that valuable. And that game, Steve Smith almost single-handedly gave the Panthers that win. It's, it's the biggest contribution I've ever seen from a wide receiver in a game. And they somehow won at Soldier Field with no other help. Other wide receivers were hurt. We were throwing Kerry Colbert out there catching passes. Deshaun Foster was hurt. Steven Davis was hurt. It was Nick Goings at running back. But Steve Smith found a way to win it. So that's number one for me. Des, what were the details on Fred Smoot? Uh, so, <laughs> Fred Smoot, you were right. It was uh, in a 2005 game, that crazy season Steve Smith had in 2005. He was quoted on Mike and Mike on ESPN saying, quote, a guy I take pride in, I destroyed his career, is Fred Smoot. He was never the same after. After coming in Bank of America Stadium, things just went downhill from for him from there. But what is the Fred Smoot story, though? What what happened to him? Yeah, what happened with the party boat? Because I so much time has passed, I've forgotten the details. While, while you look that up, that's a perfect segue into what Smitty was off the field. I'm not talking about punching teammates, Ken Lucas and whoever else in practice, but the Aqib Talib clip, we can't play this enough. Like, we get nostalgic talking about Steve Smith, but this Aqib Tlaib sound after the Monday night game against the Patriots, it, it's just beautiful sound, and it will be forevermore, it will be remembered forevermore among Panthers fans as some of the best sound we can play over the last 25 years. What happened on the touchdown? Oh, uh, poor tackling. <laughs> what happened between you and Tlaib on the field early in the game? I don't know. You're going to ask him because he didn't finish the game. Ice up, son. Ice up. Whew. Cold-blooded. Everyone remembers the ice up, son. Everybody remembers that. But I almost enjoy the first part of this answer a lot more than even the ice up. What happened on the touchdown? Oh, poor tackling. <laughs> that laugh. <laughs> well, what happened? Poor tackling. <laughs> I mean, let me give you a good punchline here. What, what, did, uh, what did baby corn say to mama corn, Des? What? Where's popcorn? <laughs> is that better than the Kawhi laugh? No. This is good right here. <laughs> is it better than this? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Nah, Kawhi is like, that, it's going to live forever. But this is much more <laughs> jovial from Smith. He, he is satisfied. He's post-coital. He just got, he just got done beating Akeem Tlaib to a point where he couldn't go on anymore, and they beat the Patriots on Monday Night Football. And this laugh, I think, just sums it all up. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a like a kid like 
mocking someone in a lunchroom. No, somewhere. it sounds like <laughs> a guy in college who just lost his virginity calling his friend. Hey, man, you're not going to believe what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to believe this. This is crazy. I have some info. On the- it, it, that's what it sounds like. I mean, <laughs> what do we got on Fred Smoot? I, man. So I had kind of forgotten this had happened. This is crazy. Um, so in October 2005, an alleged sex party occurred on Lake Minnetonka where uh, Prince used it to wash sins away from folks. Bask in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> 17, if he had known how dirty that water was, he probably would have picked someplace else. 17 key members of the Vikings football team, including Dante Culpepper, Fred Smoot, Pat yes. Williams, Bryant McKinney, Nate Burleson, uh, Jermaine Wiggins. Oh, my God. Mo Williams. They rented two houseboats. Who's who of average 2000s football players? <laughs> they they rented two houseboats, and then some, but not all the players, performed sexual acts in front of the crew members. And then prostitutes from Atlanta and Florida were flown into the party in order to perform said sex acts. There were at least 90 people on two boat, boats, and Smoot later estimated there were 100 women present. Fred Smoot was apparently the ringleader of this entire thing. He put the whole thing together. Wow. And then uh, he saw Steve Smith and went downhill. And Steve Smith scored in the end zone and responded by, <laughs> well, there was that. And he also did the rowing of the boat, too. By the way, do we have the Nickelback sound? Because let me just go through this list real quick. And I can already tell you it all deserves this sound. Fred Smoot, Jermaine Wiggins, Mo Williams. Who else was on this list? Um, Dante Culpepper. Dante Culpepper. Pat Williams. Pat Williams. Bryant McKinney. And Bryant McKinney, you all deserve this. Look at this photograph. Bryant McKinney was pretty good. Yeah, Bryant McKinney didn't deserve yeah, that. Yeah, he really didn't deserve I mean, he was there, he did, though. The rest, the rest <laughs> of them deserve that. Yeah, the rest of them. Look at this photograph. Our apologies to Bryant McKinney. <laughs> Hannah has her suitors down to four. We're going to recap. A dramatic edition of The Bachelorette with The Bachelorette Minute next. Here we go. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. The The Sports Sports Hub Hub. at AM 600, AM 920. So I caught up with last year's Wyndham Championship winner, Brant Snedeker, earlier today. I went out to Sedgefield Country Club. And I feel like I didn't cut corners. My hair is still purple. I paid off the U.S. soccer bet. I said, if the U.S. national team won another World Cup, like they did on Sunday, I would dye my hair purple like Megan Rapino. And I've done that. Now, it's only going to look this way for a week, but you guys didn't say it had to be exposed all the time. So I went into Sedgefield with an Adidas cap on. There's a photo on social media at Sports Up Triad. I'm catching up with Brant Snedeker, who I don't know. I've maybe met once or twice. So obviously in that setting, I don't think it's the best time to have purple hair. I'm going to the Dash game later on tonight at PB&T Ballpark. I don't think I'm going to wear the cap there, but I was eating out at a restaurant last night. And everywhere I go, people were just giving me looks. I wonder why. Just giving me looks. (laughs) And even today, when I was wearing the cap, I was at the Wyndham Championship, or excuse me, at Sedgefield Country Club, which is going to be hosting the Wyndham in just a few weeks, and I'm eating lunch, 
Somebody says, I know why you're wearing that hat. Okay. <laughs> at least at the, I've been outed. At least the dash game's not you'll match because purple is their team colors. That's right. So just like a super dash fan. If, in, if anybody is wondering why my hair is purple, go dash or rooting for my alma mater, East Carolina. There you go. That's what's happening. Also, go America. That's right. And the United States and Megan Rapino. <laughs> so here's what I talked to Brant Snedeker about. This conversation is from a little bit earlier on today. We got to his win last year which had a historical aspect to it with his opening round 59, 11 under par. He's one of nine players in the history of the PGA Tour to shoot a 59. In addition to that, the new PGA Tour schedule with the Wyndham Rewards Top 10, how that's affected the Wyndham Championship. And he's also a huge Vanderbilt Commodore fan. So we talked a little bit about Jerry Stackhouse too. Here's the conversation with Brant Snedeker, Wyndham Champion, from last year, this is from earlier today. Now we're being joined by last year's Wyndham Championship winner, Brant Snedeker. And looking at your career, you got your first PGA Tour win at this very golf course. You win last year, so give me a sense for what Greensboro means to you. Uh, it means a lot. You know, this obviously is where my career kind of kind of, kind of got started, um, playing the way I did my rookie year, coming in here and getting a win. Actually, it was at four strokes down the road, and then came back to Sedgefield the next year, and um, ended up being a great switch for me coming to this golf course because um, I've had great records. We've come over here and played really, really well. It meant a lot last year to finally get get a win over here as well at Sedgefield, and um, you know, Wyndham's obviously been one of my biggest sponsors for a long time, and and it's just so feels so good to be um, surrounded by so many good people and so many good memories when I come back here to Greensboro. I remember standing off the ninth green when you finished off that 11 under 59. Mm -hmm. You've had a long successful career but I wonder that number how special was that round considering how historic it was? Yeah you know I didn't really realize it at the time but but now um, I kind of hit me after the round knowing when I had more texts on Thursday afternoon than I did Sunday after I won um, just because it doesn't happen very often, right? You're, you're, you're in a small group of people, an elite club out here on tour. And so to be able to do that and then go and win on Sunday makes it extra special. So um, something I, I remember finally, I've got, I've got the ball at home. I've got some memorabilia from that week. Probably one of the few things I'll, I, I never really keep memorabilia from any of my wins, but I've got that ball sitting at home on my, on my counter for a reason. And so um, it's great to be part of that club and, and knowing I was able to kind of handle the pressure the rest of the week and get it done. What most registers with you from that round, though? Obviously, you hit the one from 176 yards out of the Duncan, and yeah. the, the patrons are telling you as you're walking up with a putter in your hand that, yeah, yeah. went into the hole. Yeah. What, what sticks out most to you? Yeah, I remember that one a lot because I, 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 I knocked it in from the hole, but I couldn't see the green. I couldn't see the ball, and so I got out there thinking it was just really close, and I couldn't see my ball in the green, and finally the, the crowd started laughing at me a little bit, saying it went in the hole. I was like, well, y'all could have been a little bit more excited. You know, it's a 180-yard shot up the hill, <laughs> so I don't do this very often. But um, it was pretty cool to do that. And then, then obviously, the putt on the last hole was kind of where it all came together, to be able to make that putt when you had to, you know, 20-footer up the hill to, to shoot 59 was pretty special. Brant Snedeker with us here. So you mentioned you finished off the weekend the right way. You yeah. get the win for the second time here. And that leads to the last image where your two kids are walking up to you yeah. and hugging you as you finish off the championship. Yeah. But they couldn't be any older than seven or eight years old. So have they, are they old enough to be able to share your success with you? This, this is the first event where they, were, where they really understood what happened. You know, I've got a, at the time, I have a seven-year-old little girl and five-year-old little boy, um, kindergarten, second grader. And so um, it was the first time they were really there when I won that they can remember. I have some pictures of them when they were babies, but, but not like it was last year. It was really cool to have that moment with them. And um, it's all my – literally, it's, it's the, the only picture we have up in our kitchen is that picture of me hugging them when I won. Um, so of, of me playing any kind of golf. And it's just because 
it was such a special moment for me as a dad to be able to share that with them and them to understand that dad does win every once in a while. <laughs> I don't just lose all the time in my job. And so really cool to have them there for that. So how cool is dad in the household? Is dad very cool? No, surprisingly not. Not nearly as cool. I've got two dogs that are way cooler than me at home. A wife who they seem to love a lot more than they do me right now because I'm, I'm kind of disciplinarian. But, um, you know, it, occasionally they think I'm cool when we're around a golf course. People kind of understand and recognize me a little bit. They think, oh, you do do this. You are pretty good. But my little boy won't listen to me at all when it comes to I've tried to get him playing golf or actually doing a doing a PJ Junior League event tonight at home um, when I get back. And so I'm going to go coach him for that. And I don't think he's going to do very well with me coaching, so I think my wife will have to coach him, and I'll be able to coach my little girl. It's the, big, the biggest change in the last 12 months, though, Brant, is the Wyndham Rewards Top 10. Mm-hmm. How much is that discussed in clubhouses, what it's done to the schedule and what it might mean to be a part of it? You know, I think it's been this year's been a really different year for us because it's a new schedule, right? We, I think most guys haven't really understood what's really happening with their schedule. It's been kind of a fly by see your pants kind of deal. And in the last month, I've heard a lot of guys start talking about, okay, okay where am I on that list? reasonably can I win it if I can win it I might have to adjust my schedule accordingly and I, I, I equate it to the first year we had the FedEx Cup playoffs a lot of guys didn't really know what it what it was going to entail how big it would become what kind of uh, situation it would put on their schedule and after the first year it really gained a lot of traction and guys started adjusting their schedule accordingly um, I think the winning rewards me very similar to that this year you know the first year guys are trying to figure out okay where am I on the list is it feasible is it reasonable for me to be able to go there and win and win win, win the bonus or move up a few spots pretty easily or whatever it may be. And so I think you'll see some guys kind of committing later um, as they get closer to find out where they are on that list with a chance to win. And then, um, you know, I've heard all the guys are up there with a chance to win thinking about adding it. And so that's the whole point. You know, I think in a year it'll totally take a different shape. It'll be a lot bigger. It'll be a lot more guys talking about it, leading up to it. Um, I think this year we're just all trying to figure out because everything's new. You know, PJ being in May, British Open now being our last major here, here starting up next week. And then Memphis becoming a FedEx a World Cup, a World Golf Championship the week after. So just a lot of new parts coming on this year. And I, and I think once, once, once we get back from British Open and people start thinking about their schedule after that, it'll take on a whole kind of life of its own. Tournament director Mark Brazel here at the Wyndham Championship. Mm-hmm. He told us when the news first broke that this is Phil Mickelson texted him said yeah. that everybody's going to come to this event yeah. now. Um, considering where it's positioned in the calendar, do, is that kind of the discussion that people have in the clubhouse? You know, I think the other big thing is that people don't realize is we're going from four playoff events to three playoff events this year. So we're used to playing four events to end the year off like that and used to having that kind of playoff mentality for those four weeks. So I think us losing the, one of the playoff events and adding the Wyndham rewards will kind of fill that void a little bit where guys are used to been playing four weeks in a row now. It's not that big of a deal anymore. We realize our biggest events at the end of the year – and with that bonus in there, trust me, it motivates guys. It makes, makes, makes them realize, man, I, I'm one, one event away from winning an extra couple million dollars. It's worth my time to go there and try to figure this thing out. You know, if, and if, you know, for, for people out there to realize this, you know, if a guy wins the event and wins the, wins the Wyndham Rewards, it's going to be the second biggest purse all year on tour behind the FedEx Cup playoffs. It'll be the biggest payout, second biggest payout we have. So it's a huge motivator for some, for, for some guys out here. So I think it'll really take a life of its own here in the next two weeks. I don't think I've asked you this last year. When you win the Wyndham Championship and you leave these doors, yeah. what's the first thing you do? You know, I went home Sunday night with the kids. We flew home, and I celebrated. You know, for the first time I'd really won in a while where I had a time to celebrate um, with the family. So Monday we just kind of – Kids were, took the kids late to school. We kind of hung out in the morning, took them, took them out to breakfast, um, stayed home that day, and really, really enjoyed it. Kind of rewatched um, the last nine holes on, on TV. I hadn't, hadn't seen it, wanted to see what it looked like. And then, um, you know, I think we all went out to dinner that night and celebrated with some friends and family at home. And then I got 
the next day I went to went to New York to play. But it was the first time I really had a chance to really celebrate a, a victory with the family and, and kind of be home with them and do it. Last thing for Brant Snedeker. See, we're in college sports country. Yes. You're, you are a Vanderbilt Com- a Commodore. Uh, I got to know, have you been fo- do you follow the Commodores closely, football, basketball? Very closely, yes. We have a new coach who's actually a North Carolina graduate, yeah. and Jerry Stackhouse. That we're uh-huh. very excited I've heard about. of him. Yes. Very excited about him. Hopefully bringing some of that Dean Smith coaching tree to, 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 to Nashville and to Vanderbilt. And, um, you know, really excited about what's coming up. Football season obviously the closest in our mind showing up here in, in a few weeks. And, and um, you know, I follow it all real closely. We're, we're coming off the heels of, of a NCAA, a College World Series national championship that I have to mention. Um, so it's, you know, unbelievable year for us. Probably one of the best college baseball teams ever assembled to go out there and win in Omaha. So pretty cool to have, you know, being a Vanderbilt fan right now. We've got a lot of good stuff going on. And an alum doing some good work on the golf course as well. Who knows? Maybe Derek Mason will pick some <laughs> off of Saban and, and those folks in the SEC. You know, you never know. Derek's doing a great job. We just need one of those years, one of these guys to kind of um, one of those years for everything to go right. It seems like every year we're having an injury at the wrong spot where we can't, can't withstand it. Um, we've got a new coordinator, new office coordinator this year, so I'll be curious to see how that goes. And um, now as you can tell, I'm, I'm a pretty well-informed fan, so um, we'll be watching closely, for, to say the least. And we'll be watching you closely in a couple of weeks. Thanks for the time, Brant. Best yeah. of luck at the Wyndham. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. That is Brant Snedeker from earlier today. Wyndham Championship winner from last year and noted SEC football and basketball fan, hoping that Jerry Stackhouse is going to bring some of that Dean Smith flavor to SEC basketball and Commodore basketball coming up this winter. But no, he's a great guy, and he didn't notice the fact that my hair was pink or purple. You said that the shade of my hair looks different today than it did yesterday. For those who missed it, we had the bottle here in the studio yesterday, the brand, again, I picked this up at Ulta Beauty in Greensboro right after the U.S. won. People berated me via Twitter and email. Hey, you're going you're, you're, you're to follow through? Your hair is going to be purple? Yes. So it, it has unicorn hair. That is, that's like the brand it looked like. And then it's Rainbow Mist. Collect Rainbow Mist collection. Epic color is lollipop. That's what the hair <laughs> is called. Lollipop. That's what I'm rocking with. <laughs> so uh it's it's not like it's brighter. It's like it's it's almost like it's penetrating your your hair more. It's like it's deeper. Like it, it seems like yesterday it was just like of your hair. Today it seems like you're like rubbing it in. You know what I mean? Like like you're shampooing it into your hair. I do know that it advised you to wash your hair out at the end of the night so you don't stain, say, your bed sheets or your your pillowcases. And I, I I remember just trying to wash my hair out in the sink and not much was coming out, but the towels were still purple. Then I went into the shower and the moment I put shampoo in my hair, it all just started coming down. That's good. And the entire the ent- it looked like a crime scene. <laughs> it, the the color yeah. of purple could have been mistaken for red. My my bathtub looked like a crime scene. Did you got to do this every night for the rest of the week? Yeah, every night the rest of the week. So I'm going to the dash game tonight, and my hair is purple. And the reason he didn't notice was because I was wearing a hat. I don't know what Brant would have said if I did have it. Maybe he'd 
Make an LSU joke. I don't know. Maybe he did see it and just didn't say anything. No, I didn't see it. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I had that hat very low. The brim of that hat was just rocking very low. But it's crazy to think that the Wyndham Championship, Wyndham Championship week is three weeks away, and we're going to be broadcasting live there a couple of days during the tournament. We're excited about that. And it kicks off a stretch of eight months here where I think sports are as good around here as they maybe have ever been, considering the fact, just here in the Piedmont Triad, Winston-Salem, Greensboro, High Point, and, and the areas in between, you have the revamp Wyndham Championship. And as Brant was talking about, the new Wyndham Rewards Top 10, which is going to incentivize more bigger names to play because of that pot of $10 million that's going to be split amongst the top 10 finishers. Wake Forest, for the first time since 1921, is going to be hosting North Carolina, Duke, and NC State in the same year. And Wake Forest is good. Three straight bowl wins for Dave Clawson, and he's bringing back both the quarterbacks who was who were winning games for him last year. And a starting left tackle who was injured pretty much all of last year. And some key players on defense. And Cade Carney at running back. A coaching staff, they were able to retain some key assistants because they got pay bumps. Rightfully so. So that's something that's different that we had to look forward to. Just here in the triad. And then the ACC tournament and the NCAA tournament are both coming back to Greensboro this year. So March is going to be nuts. College basketball is so big around here anyway. But tournament town? Title Town, Greensboro, ACC tournament followed by the NCAA tournament. Man, that hurricane of those three things together, or that cocktail of those three things, it's unique, it's special, and I don't think it's too early to start recognizing that with the Wyndham and Wake's home schedule this year and the ACC tournament and NCAA tournament coming back to to Greensboro. It's going to be neat. We've got some things we have to discuss. Memorable Steve Smith memories, the Charlotte Hornets, and Mitch Kupchak refusing to say a word that I believe is inevitable. This is The Drive. What is going on? What is going on? Talk. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham, the, the Sports, Sports Hub. Hub at AM 600, AM 920. While we were reminiscing about the greatest Steve Smith moments, we walked right into what we now believe to be one of the best sounds we have, and it's just a simple laugh from Steve Smith. (laughs) It's great, and it comes from a clip that I think people don't remember the laugh when they hear. You remember Steve Smith telling Akib Tlaib to ice up, son, right? It's Monday Night Football. I remember where I was. I was courtside at Cameron for a basketball game. And I was watching it on my laptop, trying to follow two games at once. I remember some of the Cameron crazies would be like trying to position themselves and wedge themselves against each other to get a view at my laptop so they can watch the game that they camped out for or waited for and painted up for, but also pay attention to the Panthers game. So I didn't hear Steve Smith say 
to, I believe, Albert Breer of NFL Network at the time. What happened with Aqib Tlaib and then advising him to ice up, son. But I think the first part of the exchange and the less memorable part is actually the more entertaining piece of this. Let's hear the sound. What happened on the touchdown? Oh, poor tackling. <laughs> what happened between you and Tlaib on the field early in the game? I don't know. You go ask him because he didn't finish the game. Ice up, son. Ice up. What a great answer in real time. I wish players would be as honest as Steve Smith was. What happened on the touchdown? Poor tackling. Oh, poor tackling. <laughs> and the laugh. That laugh is so smug, so condescending, so filled with elation. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful piece of sound. And the reason why we're talking about Steve Smith today, recently inducted into the Hall of Honor for the Panthers, that will be, he will officially be inducted during the football season, but during the summer to fill hashtag content, Wesley Walls had a video tribute that the Panthers put out. Jordan Gross, Jake DeLome, and today it was Steve Smith. And he, the Panthers, they had us feeling a certain kind of way when they opened their video with this. This is David Tepper telling Steve Smith the news and the soft piano that I'm used to hearing in Tom Rinaldi college game day features that make me cry also made an appearance here. So, listen, you probably are the best player that the Panthers ever had. Second best player, Sam Mills is the first. So just like Sam Mills though, we're going to expand the Hall of Honor and you're going to be there, baby. Who, me? That would be you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you will be enshrined forever. When your grandkids come here, they'll be seeing you here. There's very few things in life that really make me emotional to where I want to tear up. And when you say the opportunity for my grandkids to come in that stadium, that penetrates a place that I generally don't go. And so uh, it's good to be back. Goosebumps. So I started thinking about the best Steve Smith memories I have. Just on the field, number one for me is the touchdown he had against the Rams at the start of double overtime in that divisional playoff game 2003 season. Panthers went to the Super Bowl, of course, that year. Then the 2005 game, I think that's the best performance I've ever seen a wide receiver play. Like, if someone asked me, what's the best you've ever seen a wide receiver in that sport play? I'm pulling the 2005 playoff game where Steve Smith almost single-handedly beat the Chicago Bears with Kerry Colbert on the other side facing a double team, just jumping over people, scoring multiple touchdowns, slants, outside posts. He made it all happen. Wide receivers, they generally aren't that valuable. But in that game, it's the most I've ever seen, at least in a playoff game, a wide receiver contribute. So that's number two. And then the Fred Smoot game, because I love the details of Fred Smoot organizing a sex party on a boat indeed, with other players we would say were the nickelbacks of the Minnesota Vikings in the 2000s, including Pat Williams, Jermaine Wiggins, and who else? Mo uh, Williams? Uh, Dante Culpepper. Oh, and Dante Culpepper. Look at this photograph. That team so so those, that. those are the top three for me when I think Steve Smith moments on the field, taking aside, putting aside the off-field stuff with Tlaib and Fred Smoot, 
the comments, at least from Steve Smith after the fact. I love him rowing the boat. That's why that touchdown means a lot to me. Those are the three that stick out. For, uh, for me, the um, the 2003 season, the 2004 playoff game against the Rams that you have at number three. I number one. Number, you have that at number one? That's number one. Oh, okay. That's my number one also. Just for – I remember the primal just scream I let out. I was living in an apartment complex at the time uh, with my girlfriend, now my wife, and we were on the top floor, and there was an apartment underneath us, and it was literally the first play of double overtime. And it, it, it was just one of those plays where it's like you see it happening right before it happens, and you see Jake see it as you see it. So, like, you're kind of with him. And then it went down, and, like, Smitty comes in untouched, literally from, what, like 70 yards out or whatever? Yeah. And I just let out this huge scream in my living room, and I just I can remember it as clear as day. It's like the, the most vivid image I have of Steve Smith because that Rams team, they were, they were at the tail end of being the – greatest show on turf. Yeah, I mean, I remember all the details. Steve Smith, I mean, the safety was Adam Archuleta, and he was just, he, he, he was cheating to the sideline, and Steve ran what looked to be a post towards the, uh, or going to be an out towards the sideline, or more of a flag route, and then after one step towards the sideline, he cut it back in, yep. and th- there were a couple of details in there. There was some good reporting done by Jordan Rodriguez. The Panthers also did some profile stuff on this specific play, too talking about how well it was executed from the line communicating things as they were getting crushed the entire game and the Panthers realizing that they were jumping their snap count. So rather than going on three, they went on two on that specific play to allow for Jake to have enough time to drop back and find Steve Smith, who got right inside of Archuleta and made it to the end zone. It's beautiful. one of the most important plays in Panthers history and to do that on the road, that's number one. And it's hard for me to even pick out a play from that Bears playoff game. But once again, that's a season unlike any season we've seen a wide receiver have since. Most catches, most receptions, most receiving yards. It is the triple crown for uh, uh, wide receivers. Nobody's done it since. Who would you say out of today's wide receivers might have a chance to do that? A triple crown? Because you're right, no one's done it since 05. Uh, probably... I would say Jarvis Landry just because a lot of receptions, but he doesn't get nearly the yards you need. He's got OD, uh, OBJ on the other side. And now he has now OBJ too. on the yeah. other side. Like I, I was saying before. Yeah. But maybe Antonio Brown, maybe? I mean, probably. probably a- AB's been the closest. Player. Yeah. Man, that's t- it really puts in perspective how hard it is to do that because he came back from a broken leg the year before to do that. If you miss any of today's show, which, which featured. John Fokey, voice of the Hornets from Las Vegas in Summer League. Also, Brant Snedeker, David Glenn. Best of podcast available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Leave a good review. I think that's what I'm supposed to say. Like, leave a good review. Like a restaurant? Yeah, I, th- I think that's what I'm supposed to say. Yeah, let's If you that. enjoyed some of the guests that we like, be sure to tweet them too and say nice things. Don't be mean. Just be nice. Say something nice. It's not a bad thing to do. Just do that. Everybody's so mean on social media. Just be nice for once. Yeah, try loving somebody. Mitch Kupchak was talking to reporters in Las Vegas, and he doesn't want to use the R word. Now, the FCC doesn't have to worry because that R word is not a curse word. It's rebuilding. But that's exactly what's coming for the Charlotte Hornets. Because while he said that he doesn't want to use the R word and rebuild, he also said that the the higher-paid vets aren't guaranteed playing time which I believe is a little bit of a confliction there, a little bit of a contradiction. 
He, I mean, he can't. I want to be fair here because Mitch Kupchak, even though he he didn't come out publicly and say, we're going to be rebuilding. Can you say that if you're in his spot? I mean, if you are a team that's tanking, if you are a team that's rebuilding, you can't come out publicly and say, yeah, guys, we're not. We're not making the postseason this year. It's it's almost the joke I make we're spring practice. We didn't do much spring practice coverage for the college football teams around here. You know why? It's amazing how 130 teams are going to go to bowl games and win their conference championship. It's amazing how that's going to happen. None of these coaches are going to come out and say, yeah, it's looking like a 3-9 and nine season. It yeah, refreshing if they yeah, did. Yeah, every time. Every time it happens. It's why I give Miles Bridges a lot of credit. Miles Bridges is talking about his Rookie of the Year campaign. Say, hey, do you think you deserve to be Rookie of the Year? No. We didn't make the playoffs. What? Do I deserve a bonus? No. We, we didn't make the playoffs. I love that he said that stuff. It's refreshing to hear it. Just like it's refreshing to hear Steve Smith. To hear Steve Smith laughing in Akeem Tlaib's face and answering the question from, from Albert Breer with what happened on a touchdown in a very refreshing way. Oh, poor tackling. Yeah. <laughs> but- poor tackling. 336-777-1600. Steve Smith memories. Hornets rebuilding. If you want in on that, on Twitter at Sports Triad. They need to go young and tank the right way. Tanking has now become a loaded word. Tanking does not mean, here's a misnomer. Tanking does not mean purposefully losing games. That's not what it means. Instead, it's it's about playing younger players, signing guys to one or two year contracts, saving money, and building through the draft. That that's the way you get to the Clippers having a great bench, having a good team, good enough that Kawhi Leonard said, Yeah, yeah, I can just join this and they have a bunch of assets they could trade to get a Paul George. Or or the Nets making the playoffs with Spencer Dinwiddie, who they draft drafted, and Joe Harris with those guys. Developing assets so you can acquire a D'Angelo Russell. That's, that's You build through the draft. You build assets to make yourself more valuable. No shortcuts taken. Tanking gets, gets this, this bad name that you're purposefully losing. No. You're just trying to build through your younger players. Build through the draft. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes you're going to lose games. Short contracts, expiring contracts, a- until your younger players develop and become stars or become good enough starters that you could be a playoff team perennially, then you can start to be aggressive. Let's go to Matt in Greensboro. Matt wants in on Mitch Kupchak and the Hornets. Matt, what do you got? Hey, guys, uh, I-, I don't think Kupchak can just blatantly say they're going to tank. But, yeah, he can say we're going to you know, develop our young guys uh, it just pick a pick a lane, pick a direction. I, I would I would be okay if they said they're going to tank because I mean that is inevitable with this roster. You're not going <laughs> to trying as hard as you can. Twenty five wins might be the most. I mean, even Terry Rozier. I mean, and that's what so. I mean, I mean making that move. It's almost like you know. I mean, a three year contract paying the guy. You know. Five million more a year than anybody else would have. It's just, and I don't even understand that. I don't think Cupcheck expected to be in this position at all. 
I mean, even if they knew they couldn't offer Kemba anywhere close to, to the max, I, I, it's almost like they just assumed he was going to, you know, resign anyway. Because like, everything I've heard from him, you know, since then, it, it's it's like he's he does just doesn't know. Yeah, it's a bogus excuse. I don't really give him much credit for it. Thank you, Matt, for the phone call. Uh, it talking about not seriously considering uh, considering a trade for Kimball Walker, assuming that they're going to re-sign him, pursuing trying to re-sign him. Here's the direct quote from the Athletic: "I can't speak to what took place before I got here. We didn't have the opportunity to pursue a trade, or we did have the opportunity to pursue a trade with Kemba. The decision was made to keep Kemba. Our feeling and hope was that we could re-sign him. Having said that, we feel fortunate to have been able to execute a sign and trade." End quote. And to, and also recognizing the other exact quote with the high-priced veterans not being guaranteed playing time despite the fact, you know, they're not going to be rebuilding. He said, we have to inject, inject this franchise with younger, talented players. We have to develop them. Our coach, one of the things he works on is player development. We've ramped up our G League and our team in Greensboro, the Swarm, and we have to develop young players and we have to get them into the system. And when they get in... They are 19. Sometimes they are 20. But most of the time, they're 19, and they are not ready to play in an NBA game, so you really have to push them. End quote. No, I think you know exactly what position he's in. I think he knew what he was getting himself into. He knew he was going to have a situation with Kimball Walker when he took this job. And I still believe you have to give the guy time to build it the right way. You don't take away draft picks from someone who hasn't given you a reason to believe he can't draft the right guy. Miles Bridges is the best draft pick the Hornets have selected since Kimball Walker. And Devontae Graham seems to be pretty promising. And I happen to like P.J. Washington, thinking he was one of the four or five safest picks in the first round. And I'll be honest, I don't know much about the rest of the guys, even though the, Mart, uh, the Martin twins are from here. We'll see what Caleb turns into. Is it Caleb or Cody? They've got them both, actually. Okay, so we'll see what that turns into. But... My, my word would be give the guy some time. Give the guy time to build it the right way. Tanking's not a bad word. It just means you're building through your younger players, and you made that decision, whether you know it or not, the moment you did not resign Kimball Walker. Des, what do you got in ticket to the house today? Burger King's acting weird again, messing with their... Uh, again? Yeah. You remember how they had the uh, the weird colored burgers a while back, or the weird colored buns? The angry, the angry Whopper. I thought that was a SpongeBob episode. No, they had like real legit like. All right, Burger King's get, Burger King's getting weird. Yeah. I want details in multiple ways. Burger King has been weird and is being weird, and we do that when we take it to the house next.